Well, if you all are so inclined, you can open your pew Bibles to the New Testament, page 936, where we'll find our text for the day. But first, let us pray. Gracious Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to be looking at Luke 4, but as the story goes in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, grows in stature and in faith. He is baptized by his cousin John. He's tempted in the wilderness, and as he makes his way back to his hometown, he finds himself doing what he does on most Sabbath days. The more he reads and the more he teaches in the synagogues, the more folks eat it up. The lectionary divides this scripture into two different parts. You might recall this first part I'm going to read was what we focused on last Sunday. As Jesus claims his identity as Messiah and prophet from reading in the book of Isaiah, listen to this part first. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon Jesus. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Things would have been so much easier if Jesus had just stopped right there. But no. Instead, we turn our attention to the rest of the story. Listen now for God's holy word. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you all will quote me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. May God bless the hearing and the speaking of God's holy word. Amen. 
Oh, have you heard the good news? Jesus, our Jesus is back. The attendant unrolled the scroll. Jesus chose a portion, read it, rolled it back up, sat down, and they were amazed. Good news. It was going so well. They were not angry when Jesus came home. They were not angry when he stood and read in the temple. They were not even angry when he assumed the prophet Isaiah's words as his mission on earth. The Lord has anointed me as the Messiah to bring good news to the poor, to release the captives, give sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and most of all, the year of Jubilee. Forgiveness, grace, release, relief. Good news, good news, good news. That's our boy, they say. James's brother, the carpenter, Joseph's son, our little Jesus, all grown up. Our town, our synagogue, our guy, our good news. And then just like that, on the head of a pen, everyone, all of them, the entire synagogue, turned from good news to outrage and hatred and vitriol and anger. Why was everyone so angry? Were they short-fused, weary, forlorn? Could they have been that afraid or insecure or unsatisfied? Any preacher worth their weight is going to challenge a congregation from time to time. After all, a good sermon should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. But holy moly, whatever Jesus did or said is enough to have him thrown off a cliff. Call me paranoid, but it seems like a good idea for someone standing in my particular position to know why was everyone so angry? These days, they're calling it pandemic rage. Masks, parents, teachers, protests of all sorts, lots of angry drivers and angry Facebookers. Last week, I was in the parking lot of Harris Teeter, and someone made fun of me for wearing a mask. And then yesterday, I was outside, and someone scolded me for not wearing a mask. But isn't the anger a sure-tell sign of something deeper altogether? I mean, no one really wants to share how afraid or vulnerable we are feeling, not these days. Last week, the man in the parking lot didn't stop and say to me, hey, whenever you wear a mask outside, strange lady, it reminds me that I am not as free as I used to be before COVID, and it makes me feel trapped. And yesterday, that girl didn't say, you know, strange lady, my mom is undergoing chemotherapy, and I'm afraid and I need you and everyone else to help me stay safe. And so while we don't know what sort of healing was happening in Capernaum before Jesus goes home, we also don't know how long Jesus' people had been waiting for some sort of answer to prayer. Maybe they thought they were due some good news. Aren't we due some good news? Maybe they were afraid Jesus would run out if he shared all that grace with other people. All we know is the minute he challenges the core of who they are, how they lived and how or what they believed, that's the minute they start stirring 
in their pews. Jesus wasn't home five minutes before calling their way of thinking and believing into question. They hadn't even opened their mouths yet. He says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're expecting. Well, Jesus, where are we supposed to find a truth that transcends our own limited perspectives these days? These days, what does it mean to be faithful? Well, it depends on who you ask. These days, what does it mean to be Christian? Depends on who you ask. What does it mean to be an American these days? That depends on who you ask. And we can't rely on the news channels or the podcasts or the politicians right now. And we certainly are divided and isolated and overwhelmed and tired. It's just a good thing Jesus came home. At least we can go to the synagogue for some good news. Well, according to Jesus, at least, the Christian life is impossible without knowing, reading, praying, and listening to Scripture. And say what you want to about Jesus, he sticks closely to the Bible. Actually, he embodies it. That's why we call him the Word made flesh. But the problem with Scripture is that it's just so messy and real. Hopefully, Jesus is going to skip all that stuff about money, tithing 10%. Hopefully, he won't mention Pilate or Herod or Caesar anything political. Hopefully he'll stick with scripture and avoid all those parts about teaching or health care or refugees or the courts. Lord knows we get enough of that Monday through Saturday. There's the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. I hope he skips that. Paul spells it out in the book of Romans. Hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, swords, we don't really want to think about those things this morning. In fact, I'd much prefer the good news according to Lori, which may or may not be similar to the good news according to Ed or Suzanne or Chad or Lisa. Of course, there's the good news according to the conservatives, and then there's the good news according to the progressives. Neither which of those things are the good news according to Jesus Christ. Listen to all of our feeble attempts at good news. God helps those who help themselves. Money is the root of all evil. Follow your heart. This too shall pass. God only gives you what you can handle. You get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. Hate the sin, love the sinner. The cream rises to the top. To thine own self be true. Well, I hate to tell you, but the Bible doesn't say any of that. And Jesus doesn't either. Jesus doesn't say that anywhere. As theologian Tom Curry recently said, Scripture's no hallmark card. We read it to have our noses rubbed into the reality of life. Ugh. Scripture is brutally human. Scripture reveals our sinfulness and our self-deceitfulness. And so what does Jesus do in the synagogue that day? He embodies the Old Testament stories that those very people taught him as a little boy. And he says, now listen, I know what you're going to say. 
And I know what you want, and I know what you think, but let me remind you of this. Elijah could have saved any widow in Israel, but no, he saves a widow outside the bounds of Israel. And he says, Elisha could have saved any leper in Israel, but no, that prophet saved a Syrian leper. So yes, I am the Messiah, but I am not your puppet Messiah. And yes, I do bring good news, but it's not your good news. So Jesus drops the mic, and they stare at him in disbelief because for the first time, everything they thought they understood about God and believed about themselves just got flipped inside out. And that's what really, that's what really eats us up, isn't it? When Jesus holds up scripture as if it were a mirror in our own lives, it's not the pandemic that made them mad. It's not the corruption of their government. It's not the stress of their relationships and families and jobs. It's Jesus. It's Jesus standing with us in the middle of all of it, smack dab in the middle of a dark valley, calling us to change our hearts, to move and stretch and grow and reach out to each other and to change their issues with Jesus lie in the truth of the scriptures themselves, which Jesus literally brings to life, not to condemn them, of course, not to condemn them, but to set them free. The problem is, is that they are so afraid to follow instead of lead. They are so afraid to let go instead of gripping harder. They are so afraid to embrace the wideness of God's mercy for all people instead of controlling who belongs and who doesn't. And so the crowd doesn't see it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. Not yet, anyway. Jesus just slips through the midst, slips through the crowd. Jesus calls us to walk together. And somewhere in that calling of us walking together, we find a hope and a freedom and a joy. And as Tom Curry puts it, that's okay. From cliff to cross, Jesus is the one, Jesus is the only one who turns the most horrible Friday into a good Friday. Jesus Christ is good news for the poor. Jesus Christ liberates the oppressed. Jesus Christ is healing and forgiving. Jesus Christ is saving and renewing and restoring not just us, not just Christians, not just Americans, not just insiders, not just believers, but all of humankind right now. Nothing will stop this reality. Nothing will defeat this truth. Not an angry mob, not cancer, not evil, not darkness, not addiction, not depression, not anxiety, not even death. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are freed, we are forgiven, and we are saved. Amen.
You all may be seated. The Celtic Cross Award is an award given by a congregation uh, on behalf of someone who is a leader in that congregation, someone who serves children and serves scouting. There's someone here among us today who is deserving of this award, and it's uh, my great pleasure to tell you about this person. Joe Bentley, come on up, my friend. You stand right there by that baptismal fountain. In lieu of me making up my own words, I'm going to read the nomination that was sent in on Joe's behalf. To whom, it, to whom it may concern, with gratitude and great respect, I joyfully nominate Troop 99 Scoutmaster Joe Bentley for the Celtic Cross Award sponsored by the National Association of Presbyterian Scouters. With integrity, patience, and attention, Joe has mentored and guided most scouts who have passed through Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church's Troop 99 since 1986. Joe and his wife Michelle joined Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church in October 1999. Their first son, Bergen, was born two months later. Not only have their three sons been active in scouting and or at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church, but the depths of Joe's faith is evident in his long-standing commitment and steady leadership over the course of several decades. Joe was ordained in 2005 as an elder and has served on the session twice. Serving alongside Joe, one learns that he is humble, unassuming, tender-hearted, tenacious, trustworthy, and good-humored. Joe has served as a confirmation mentor to teenagers and worked over the years with the Room in the Inn program alongside his wife, Michelle. Room in the Inn welcomes and hosts homeless neighbors into our church during the winter months. He, he has chaired and served on the property and maintenance committee of the church for countless years. His service in that regard is an extension of his many substantial gifts of time, talent, and treasure shared through Selwyn's scouting program. Just like his service to the church, Joe's scouting reflects his deep and abiding commitment to Christ. Joe helped to plan for and build Selwyn's scout hut in the late 1980s and coordinates each Eagle Scout Award and Scout Sunday as integral parts of our worship. Joe has held countless leadership roles within Troop 99, and he tends to the troop's ethos of inclusion and belonging with ease. These last few years have been difficult for our troop and, and our church. Patterns of gathering, worship, and scouting have been interrupted and created space for us to consider the significant impact Joe's ministry of scouting has had on the overall life and well-being of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. The time for our congregation to honor Joe Bentley with the same love and care that he has provided countless scouts, parents, and fellow church members is long overdue. And so we thank you for your consideration, and Joe Bentley, we thank you for your service to Selwyn and to Troop 99.
As we now enter into a time of prayer, I invite you to pray with me and I invite you to respond as I say, Lord, in your mercy, with hear our prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, before we are born, before we do anything or make something of ourselves, before we make our first mistake, you claim us and you wrap us in love and grace. We are humbled with gratitude that you know us and invite us to know you. We give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You call us to a radical love. You call us to a love that includes our enemies. Grant us the courage and the strength to hold on to what is good, to love radically, to reach out to neighbors, to heal relationships. We pray for broken systems and broken relationships around our world. Where there is violence, we pray for peace. Where there is injustice, we pray for justice. And we pray for our leaders and for our nation. Bless them with wisdom that comes only from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we ask that you grant us patience in our practice of love. Help us to listen more, to seek understanding, and approach those with whom we disagree with curiosity, humility, and openness. Help us listen for the story beneath others' stories. We pray for the church universal, for our diversity. May we continue to be the one body of Christ. May we focus on what binds us. May we lift each other up. May we take the beginning of your public ministry seriously and care for the poor and the oppressed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Healing God, we pray for those in our lives who are sick with illness, loneliness, anger, or fear. We hold them closely in our hearts by name. We know that you hear us. Bless these people with comfort and with community that embodies your love. We pray that they may know peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We ask, O oh God, that you would inspire us by your love through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Transform us in this love to live as Christ's disciples. Bless those who in these pandemic times are suffering, despairing, and grieving, and most in need of love. We lift these prayers and the ones that silently rest on our heart to you, our God, our Savior. Hear us now as we pray together the prayer that Christ taught us saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, our God blesses us with extravagance and abundance and calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Grateful for all that we've been given, let us gather our gifts and present our tithes and offerings to God.
Let us now, together, using our printed prayer, dedicate these gifts to God. O oh God, bless these gifts that we have given as expressions of our love for you and our neighbors, that they may bring closer to fulfillment your reign of peace and love through Jesus Christ, our Sovereign. Amen.
friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding, dwell in your hearts and your minds until we meet again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.